Okay, I really have to go. I really gotta go. All right, this is. <laughs> All right, later, guys. Love you. I gotta go. <laughs>
pod. I got lots of really good feedback from the the world on it. I was surprised the longer pod didn't slow a lot of people down. I was really worried because that one came in at like an hour and a half. Yeah. And actually got some good feedback on the longer, a little bit more in-depth conversation, which kind of surprised me because I have really been trying to keep them tight. So I don't know what you guys heard from from your friends and family, but Jim Rudd said best ever. So Whoa. There you go. Oh, wow. I know. Holy crap. Did he say what made it best? Did he give you any insight into his qualification? He liked a lot of what you had to say, Steve. I think part of it was he's super interested in the conversation because he has a university degree that he never used. And then he got a job with Hydro and has a technical trade and uh, has done really well for himself in his life. So he had a little bit of strong feelings on university. And part of it, I think, was he went because his mom really had that dream for him and pushed him to go. But he didn't really have passion for what he was doing there. He didn't know what he was going to come out of university with, what direction he wanted to go. So I don't think he feels like that time was wasted at all. Yeah. But he really hasn't used it. I think he, he sees both sides of that coin where we maybe don't quite as much so it was, he phoned and we talked about it for like 40 minutes he was right into it wow you did some uh some snow day pod uh, customer support <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in on my comments it'll be hard for bruce to edit that i'll say something about and georgie how do you feel about it <laughs> <laughs> one i thought that transition for you bruce was very nice whatever old cassette you found where it says, this is the time where you can flip over. I thought it was very clever, so good production. Hello, CD listeners. We've come to the point in this album where those listening on cassette or records will have to stand up or sit down and turn over the record. That was Tom Petty. Yeah. (laughs) Number two, I like that Rudd liked it. I just assumed you were going to throw a comment like, he liked it so much because Steve wasn't on it in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> caught a little bit of a laugh. Oh, too bad it was the opposite, eh, George? Too bad it was the opposite. Uh... Steve, we can all blame it on Bruce's editing because he just takes fucking snippets of our of our larger comments and uh, uses them against us. So we yeah, he could really that. he could really damage our relationships if he wanted to. <laughs> After the last podcast, there were a few sharp words exchanged. The next seven minutes or so is us patching things up. If you didn't listen to the university episode, you might want to skip ahead. Or if you don't like family tension, it might not be for you. The funny thing is, if you did listen to the episode, you may not have even picked up on some of these things. But like all families, we read each other pretty well. My rap on that pod would be the very softest of apologies. And it's funny because the way the production went, I don't think our intention was ever to take like the TMZ approach to the the podcast to build that controversy. But by having the one conversation and then have Steve and I go back and kind of pick it apart without you guys there to defend yourselves was like a slightly dirty trick. In the start of it, my intention wasn't to do that. It just went in that direction. And, and I know that Steve and I weren't trying to take shots at you guys when you couldn't defend yourselves or and, not, right. not too hard of shots anyways. But I, my intention wouldn't be to do too many other pods like that. But at the same time, we've got some good feedback on the way it turned out. So maybe one of us gets to sit out each time. There was a little bit of chatter, a little bit of white noise in our group chat after the whole thing came out. So I just wanted to, to bounce back to that. Les, you were the first to jump in on the, the snow day group chat. So thoughts on the process first, and then maybe how the pod turned out. Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in like crazy on this snow day group <laughs> chat when I listened to it, because I thought it was by far the most controversial production that we've had in terms of the pods that we've done. And I think it is maybe one of the things that made it more interesting to to listen to was the fact that it was sort of two pods in one. You know, the first one that we recorded uh, and then the second one with you and Steve and adding Steve's 
comments after a lot of uh, mud slinging and shit talking in the uh, in the snow day group <laughs> text chat. I think you know obviously Steve would have been a very valuable addition to the conversation while we were having it. And in fact, I remember lobbying at the time that we should wait for Steve because you know he brings a different angle to education. I thought. It was of all the topics that we've done, it was the one that I probably would have wanted to discuss with him on the call the most, but it didn't work out that way. Steve, you tipped your hand a little bit to the, let's call it disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing aspect of some of your points by Bruce teeing you up at the beginning with your intro saying, I just can't wait to disagree with these guys, whatever they say. (laughs) Was it that obvious? (laughs) Listening to the second time, I felt even more like you were disagreeing with us without actually disagreeing with our major points. Because it sounded like we were very much arguing in favor of formal education. And I don't think that we were. In fact, that's not the point that, that I was making through the entire pod. My thoughts on formal education have changed so much over the 30 years since uh, I was in or made the decision to go to university. And I think I value it less now than I did 30 years ago. And I spoke to it a little bit from a hiring standpoint because that's mm-hmm. you know one of the angles that Bruce asked me to address. But I certainly wasn't arguing that everybody should go to university. But Steve, let me, let me just make one point because you made one very strong point that I feel like I need to call you out on because I just thought if I was on the call, I would have debated it absolutely at the time. Oh, for sure. You called me out on saying, when I'm hiring somebody, regardless of what I think of where they went to school or what their degree was in, I said, if you walk in and you have on your resume the fact that you completed a four-year university degree, that says something about your character. You took a very strong stance against that. In fact, you said that, that it was misrepresentation for me to imply that. I have to disagree strongly with your, with your statement there because what you're saying, and I don't think this is what you meant to say, but certainly you're not saying that there is zero value in obtaining a university degree. No, it says I'm not nothing that. about a no. young person's life and their the no. effort that goes into it. And yeah, okay. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna instead of fighting with you, I'm gonna allow you to retract and massage your statement a little <laughs> bit so that we can find a yeah. place where we agree as opposed yeah. to us yelling at each other on text, which we were doing two weeks ago. <laughs> if we were in a basement, that's exactly what would happen. <laughs> We'd be like uh, throwing shit at each other, right? <laughs> of course. I heard what you were saying around it's less important now. So that's not, I, I don't think I was arguing that much. Terms like using it as a yardstick or, or you know things like that, I was getting caught up in. And of course, I had the liberty of listening to it, right? And then responding. I don't think I'll retract it, but I'll massage it somewhat. A lot like George, I spent 11 years in school, but then I also spent eight years as a, as a professor or an associate professor. Yep. There was a lot of people there for the wrong reasons. They were there on scholarship. They were there because they had nothing to do. They were there because their oh, parents absolutely. were paying for it. Yeah. Right? So, so to, see, to say that it says something about their character, you're absolutely right, because everything is about your character to some degree. But to put it as a, an affirming kind of quality, to me, would be extremely misleading. And I think my point was that, you know, if I was to hire, um, there's a lot more talent uh, out there right now in some industries with people that haven't gone to school. And what type of character maybe I would ask, you know, and I think I said, well, that you follow rules, that you can get something done, that you can complete it. But, um, yeah. you know, a monkey could do that. So do rats when they pull on levers. Well, hold on, though. I don't think I agree with that, Steve. You're watering down that accomplishment too much. I think. No, I'm not watering down the accomplishment. 
I'm watering down the the assumption that's made when someone floats a resume with a, that they've completed four years. That's where the fork in the road goes. You get a degree, you work hard, that's awesome. It's an amazing accomplishment. I'm saying that when you sit down and you see as criteria and you say that, well, because they finished four years, that says something positive about their character, that's where it gets murky for me. That's all. For us to get to a point where we can agree on this, I think the problem is we must be using different definitions of the term character, which is a very broad descriptive term. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe I shouldn't have said it says something about your character. Because obviously, it certainly doesn't say everything about your character. You can have a university degree and be an asshole, <laughs> right? You right. can have a university degree and never actually have worked hard. I'll admit it. I never one day of my university degree actually worked hard. I was a right. lazy, right. shitty student the entire time, but I have a, a university degree. But yeah. it does say something. It says... It sure. says some things about that person. Yeah, you follow through. Or you got someone else to go to your classes. Right? I mean, like there's so many different, like I've seen so many different things. Sure. Right? And that's what I'm, I'm getting at is, is it shows that you can complete things. Yes. I mean, if you had just disagreed with that in softer terms, I wouldn't have taken issue yeah, with yeah. that. Right. But as Stephen the Martyr, I mean, is it a surprise that I, I there's so many swords that I fall on? No, not at all. <laughs> not right, at all. right. So I think in this particular case, I'm advocating for the many talented people that don't get the second shot uh, because they didn't finish a degree, right? So that's yeah. that's uh, that's probably where that, that thread comes from. Oh, 100%. And we're back. I think we're all cool with each other. Let's move on. You weren't on the last pod, but where are you today? What's going on? You know, I'm off to Toronto and then Sudbury and then Montreal. Since I was here, I got to see Les in Toronto. We went to a Raptors game and it was awesome to hang out. So that's uh, since the last pod. Uh, that's what happened. We're still friends. We still get along very well. I love him very much. <laughs> Lester, how about you? I am in Toronto. I'm in my office. There's nobody else here. It's a beautiful feeling. It is family day in Ontario. I'm happy to be spending my family day with you guys. Since the last pod, I did a quick trip through Winnipeg. Bruce, I just missed you, and Steve, I missed you. Steve and I actually, yeah, we'll get into it maybe a little bit when we when we talk about this topic. But we had a we had a great night at the Raptors game. Fortunately, he was in town to go with me, and uh, that's it. Georgie, you, we could just hear your dog in the background. I hope you put that dog outside or something. Yeah, Penny's at my feet. Uh, so I've been spending Family Day weekend with the family, doing stuff. I might do a half day ski this afternoon. Yeah, and I don't think there's been much other than I'm just re-listening to the last podcast over and over again because it was so controversial. <laughs> <laughs> That's why George hasn't returned any of my calls in the last three days. <laughs> I'm in Thompson, boys, heading out to the lake as soon as we wrap this up to uh, do a few little odds and ends out there. It was Mun Cup weekend and uh, sort of the end of an era, but a really neat handoff, I think. So as you guys know, I've been the keeper of the cup, sort of like the Stanley Cup has a keeper. I've been the keeper of the Mun Cup for the last seven years, I think, but I'm ready to hand over that honor and... Uh, it's going to producer Mike. So producer Mike's Ooh, going to be the keeper wow. of the cup next year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Keeping it in the family. Keeping the keeper in the family right on. It was two Bruce's up till now. Bruce Cameron handed me the white gloves and he did about six years. I did seven. But now we've got a new format, a little bit like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, everyone who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame gets to vote on who gets in, which seems like a hilarious way to do it, but that's what they do. So we're changing it now. There's going to be a new keeper of the cup every year and the past keepers vote on who the next keeper is. So producer Mike gets next year and then uh, we'll take it from there. Bruce, do you have to live in Thompson? 
I don't know if the keeper would have to live in Thompson. All of our, the, the front runners in the conversation all do live in Thompson. But uh, if you had a good Mun Cup history, we'd, we'd consider you. George clearly wants to be the keeper of the cup, living in Calgary <laughs> and never having played hockey. I don't know how much you'd have to grease the people voting because your Mun Cup resume just doesn't stand up to producer Mike's Three wins as a player, one as a coach, and tournament MVP. You've, you've, you've. Oh Jesus! To do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's tough to beat, man. Holy shit! That's that's like Hall of Fame credentials. You might have to just sit this one out. Did I ever tell you the actual Stanley Cup keeper of the cup used to be my next door neighbor? <laughs> really? No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, great guy. I have some ridiculous photos of me with the Stanley Cup in his backyard because <laughs> he was the keeper of the cup. He was at his house all the time. There's a sort of a backup keeper of the cup guy too, who came up here to Thompson with the Stanley Cup. And so I have a couple pictures with him with the Stanley Cup and me with the Mun Cup, like the, the two cups and the two of us. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, with the yeah. white with the white gloves and the tucks and and all of that stuff. So it was that those are pretty cool pics. It's probably the same guy because my neighbor wasn't the older guy with the big mustache. He was the younger guy, the guy that travels with the cup. Yeah, so that's that's the guy that was here. I can't remember his name's Glenn yeah. or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Small world. Oh. Yet again, our world's uh, overlapping. Yeah, I wish I'd known that. We would have <laughs> we would have chatted him up a little bit. It's a good pod. Like I listened to it again today, and it's a very good pod, start yeah. to finish. So. I think that format yeah. worked. Controversy is good when you're selling media entertainment. $250 million yeah. for The Ringer. That's, that's our goal. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's our goal. That's, <laughs> boys, I don't know if you heard that, but The Ringer <laughs> podcast with Bill Simmons just sold for $250 million to Spotify. So the, the bar's been set. We've got we've to wow. up our game a little bit. We'd take, uh, we, we'd take 250 bucks and five pounds of ground beef. <laughs> we started Snow Day Pod before... Before Bill Simmons started the Ringer, it's true. Actually, we did <laughs> because he was still he was still doing that Grantland network for ESPN. So I told Bruce that that's our new mark: two hundred fifty million dollars is what we have to sell the Snow Day Pod for to Spotify or anybody else who's listening. Just so you know, our price is two hundred and fifty million. That's where the negotiation starts. U.S. Serious offers okay. only. <laughs> Les, you and Steve, after being at the Raptor game, I think hit a restaurant someplace in in T.O. and took a deep dive into Kobe Bryant, which shook a lot of the world. And that's where this topic came from. So Kobe died in the helicopter crash. We've all heard the story. And the outpouring through the NBA and across Canada and the United States has been pretty big. It shook a lot of people. And I think it got you guys to talking about why did it if it's somebody that most people haven't met in person. Les, I think you were lucky to see him in real life, probably, I don't know if you guys ever actually met or not. I've never seen the guy in real life, but it started to make us wonder why do we feel like we have that connection to some of our heroes? Is that kind of where that conversation started and went? Steve, you want to jump in and talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, it was a great conversation. Uh, I know Les was a big fan. Um, and I'm always, you know, of course, as the falling on different swords and cro- carrying crosses, you know, that whole week I was concerned with just the controversy around his um, his contribution to sports and just the world in general and some of the backlash around the quote-unquote sexual misconduct allegations and things like that. So because Les was the biggest fan I knew and we're, we have such a good relationship, uh, I waited the whole week. You know, I think I waited till halftime when we were <laughs> having a, a bite to eat and a, and a 
and a drink. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask you this straight up, dude. And uh, got us talking, um, you know, just about how complex that situation was. And we carried it over later again, which I think led to the whole just um, the emotional impact on people. Hey, Lester, and, and just how powerful it can be. It was a great conversation. Let's uh, let's talk about how that event sort of impacted you and then spin that into do you have some other heroes or people that you looked up to? So and I can start off the, the Kobe thing. I don't want to sound cold, but the Kobe thing was almost a zero impact for me. So I don't, I don't follow the NBA and I'm not a hero person, I guess. So that, that whole thing really didn't affect me too much at all. I'm sure it affected you guys more. Probably less you're the one it affected the most. So you want to talk about did it? Did it really bother you? Were you really rattled? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, we don't have to spend the whole time talking about Kobe because we did a long, we've done, we've talked enough about basketball, I think, on this on this podcast. But you guys know I'm a big NBA fan and I was a huge Kobe fan. I would say he was probably um, just the way my sort of 20 years of being a fan in his 20-year career. And I was a Lakers fan before the Raptors were in existence, so I always followed him. Uh, he's probably like my all-time favorite basketball player. So it did affect me, and I think I was fortunate when it happened, when he died, I knew the next Raptor game they were going to have some sort of memorial for him, and Steve was actually in town. So I was like, Steve, you need to come to the Raptor game with me because they're going to do a memorial for Kobe. And I think it's going to be actually really emotional. <laughs> I think this is an experience that we should share. And it led to us having a, a big conversation. First of all, it was just such a shock. A guy that is so full of life and is just yanked from, from the world so suddenly. The surrounding story, his daughter, the seven other people, like it's just such a tragic story, right? It's enough. It's a story to make anybody sad. And then he had such a enormous global following that it makes it, you know, a, a larger event. And I think there's really two angles of the story that I found interesting that Steve and I talked about quite a bit. Number one was why on earth do we feel impacted when somebody dies who we've never met? Right. So, yeah, I'm a fan. I've seen him on TV. I've seen him from maybe 25 feet away and followed his career. But I never met the guy. I didn't know the guy. Like, why on earth would I feel loss when he died? And why do we feel that to people that were not actually that aren't actually present in our lives? And I think that's an interesting sort of concept. And then, of course, the other side of the angle was the next day, you know, the, there was this enormous outpouring of emotion, people putting up all these fantastical tributes to Kobe and, you know, how much of a hero he is and wonderful person. And then, of course, comes the immediate backlash. Well, hold on, there's actually a very dark side to this person's story. And I think that leads to an interesting discussion of how do we choose to revere and put up on a pedestal persons or heroes, for lack of a better term, who are who we know to be imperfect? And, and how do we uh, rationalize that in our minds. Um, and I think that's a really interesting sort of concept to think about as well. Yeah, totally. Let me throw that one to you, George, and then we'll bounce it back to Steve. But how did the Kobe thing affect you? I mean, you deal with death more than the rest of us. So do those ones rattle you more than the people that you see in your practice, maybe? Yeah, so... I will go and say that it not only had a zero impact, it had a negative impact on me. And then I'll backtrack a little bit. So 
I'm also a gigantic NBA fan. Like I've been watching NBA. If Calgary had an NBA team, I'd have tickets. And so like Les, uh, he was in my top 10 greatest basketball players of all time. I'm a big, huge Kobe fan as well. However, the media coverage and far to say almost circus-like adoration of a false idol gave me that negative feeling, which I think is part of what we wanted to talk about. I think it's super sad that he died with his daughter on a helicopter with seven other people that I know nothing about, but it's certainly no more sad than, and certainly way less sad than people I take care of because I have a connection with my patients that don't make it. So it had zero impact. And I think the amount of coverage that it got versus the, you know, the amount of violence that exists south of the border, like the mass shootings. I mean, they're still talking about it, like the NBA All-Star game just finished, right? And they had a massive tribute and people were wearing his numbers. I just think there's a disproportionate amount of attention to an individual that was by all accounts, a superstar athlete and I respect the amount of time and effort it it took him to get to the pinnacle of his career. That's what I like about Kobe was his work ethic and what he brought to the game. Unbelievable. What I didn't like was this distorted, warped, posthumously adoration of him afterwards. So that's why I would say not only did it have a zero effect, it had a negative effect on me. I didn't like the outpouring because it's disingenuous. I, I just don't believe... People actually felt that way. I think people have empathy, but I think it was misplaced. Are your thoughts on that particular to Kobe? Or do you apply that whenever a celebrity dies and there's this incredible outflowing of emotion and it's like the biggest news story in the world? Like I'm thinking back, the last really big one I remember was when Michael Jackson died. And it's very similar, right? Because there's another global superstar, and but an incredibly dark side to his story as well. And of course, the media has for for years at various times picked up that topic and debated, you know, wow, now that we know Michael Jackson was a child molester, uh, how do you feel about continuing to listen to his music? Are you allowed to enjoy his music uh, even though you know these these negative sides of his character? You know, because I remember that, you know, people, the memorial, that, and, and again, that was in L.A. as well because that's where he lived or close to L.A., you know, and just the lineups of people, you know, miles long waiting to put a flower on the memorial for Michael Jackson. Similar scene to, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of people outside the, the Staples Center in L.A. like crying and putting flowers down for Kobe. Were you put off by the Kobe experience or are you put off by the celebrity and hero worship concept in general? Yeah, the latter. Yeah, it did, it did, it, I could give a shit yeah, if it was okay. Kobe. It could have been everybody. It could have been anybody. Um, yeah. 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 I think there's been three yeah. really big ones in our lifetime. Um, the first being Princess Diana in the in the week after Kobe passed. That was the big comparison that where people were making was the last time a global star to that level had passed away. And that was insane as well. Right. I yeah. mean, um, the entire world mourned Princess Diana mm -hmm. passing away. And again, that was tragic as well. You know, she died in a horrible car accident she's there one day gone the next it's such a layered it's such a layered situation and i think you guys touched on all the points and of course it, i mean i work with humans and i every day i study it but i think the george you said it 
you had a relationship with the people that you lost, right? And and I think the the reason why Diana was bigger than everything is because everybody had a relationship with her. So that's one of the things, it's your relationship to her. Unless you had a relationship with Kobe, you don't have to know somebody to interlock somewhere where your values meet or where your needs meet or what you admire, right? And I think the greater that connection is, the greater the losses. I think it's that simple. There's a, It's layered though too, George, I'm with you. I had a hard time uh, and Bruce, you know, when people get, when they get lost, there's other people that were there. And I thought the memorial at the Raptors game was amazing. They showed the pictures of all the people prior to Kobe. And I thought, fuck, thank goodness, man. Like other people were lost. You don't hear about the the boy and the girl that lost their mom, their dad, and their sister on the same fucking helicopter, right? Not that it's, it's you know what I mean? It's not about comparing, but like there's, there's two orphans yeah. that lost both parents and a sister. You don't hear about that, right? So I think I think that that's part of it, George, is with me as well as like, okay, we hold these people up in high regard at the expense of other people's loss. And last, I think, you know, you said something really, really important. You know, admire these people. And you said it, they're human. That's where we got to start is just to remember that there is nobody that we hold up in high regard that did not do something that was human or did not fuck up or did not screw up or did not make a mistake at some point in their life, right? And I think that's what we have to do, is if we can look at them as human, that that would be less of an issue and it'd be less controversial. The fact that there's a human aspect to all of us and we all fuck up and my God, if we can't forgive the things that we did, then we're, we're all screwed, you know? So that's, that's kind of how I, feel about, how I feel about it. You know, less you had a more intense connection to Kobe than I did. So your, your level of grief is gonna be, uh, is gonna be greater, do you know what I mean, than mine. When someone else passes away that's uh, out in the media or something, I may have a stronger connection to that person than you. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. Can you? So I may have said a lot there, but yeah. No, that was good. I'm curious where you're at, Steve, because Le- the other point that Les raised, and, and I struggle with it big time, and the, the Michael Jackson example is a good one, because by all accounts, uh, we didn't meet him, we didn't see it, but he was a, a bad dude in a lot of his private life by the sounds of things. Can you separate that from his music? And I think I can. I don't know if I feel great about the fact that I that I do, but I'm happy. Like, yeah, he made good. Yes. He made good music. I yes. like to listen to it, but I I'm not gonna yeah. say he was the best. Yeah. Best guy in the world. So is, that's where you're at. Well, when I was young, I I probably wouldn't reconcile that. As I get older and wiser, uh, the reality is it's simple for me. I for years was ambivalent when I heard a Michael Jackson song because I felt dirty that I was listening to it. But then, you know, I think what we're really talking about is true compassion, right? If you look at his life, he never had a life. Like everything that, that it was bent and twisted, right? And it's not to abdicate his responsibility of what he did. But basically, he built his whole life as a child and had sleepovers and built a castle and built a whole Neverland because he was working <laughs> ever since he was three, right? And never had a relationship that was, quote, normal or healthy or adaptive. And then you think about Kobe and you think about the era that he came through and not to abdicate it. But, you know, you're you're put on a pedestal at, at 15, right? You're given money and contracts at 17. Uh, you're given everything you want, you know. And I think one thing that Les said to me that really helped me when we had our talk was I wasn't, I try not to follow those things because I'm always disappointed when people abdicate responsibility. But Les, I don't know how you said it, but, you know, there was an aspect where where Kobe acknowledged that he learned from it. Uh, and that, you know, his idea of consent and his idea of boundaries needed to be renegotiated. And I think that's it. I think, you know, looking at how that person got to that place, because we don't live in a vacuum. Yeah. We were privileged to have our for, our friendships 
and our parents, right? To say that we made all of our choices, all of our great choices because we're super awesome and we can judge other people, no. I don't think so. I think it's important to take into context how they were raised and the experiences that led to the led to their choices, right? Georgie, any thoughts on that? Can you separate those things or do they all blur together for you? No, no, I can actually. Uh, I think there's lots of terrible people in our lives and in history where I can, in the very cold scientific part of my brain, it's one of my superpowers. I think Steve has often said that is my ability to almost surgically dissect things out. And it's actually Steve's greatest strength where he can't sometimes do that and has empathy and insights that I don't have. So the same skill set can be positive and negative. I mean, I think Michael Jackson was an unbelievable global superstar. And when we were 12 or 14 years old, if you went to a party and somebody didn't have Michael Jackson on, you'd, you'd be thinking the guy was weird. How do you not have Thriller on? And then we've later discovered that this poor, tragic kid, I mean, it was predictable. But you know what? I still like his music. I just think he's a terrible, you know, he's a piece of shit now. And now that we've discovered that. My comment was just going to be the general celebrity, which I think is what we're kind of talking about. And I was actually thinking about it from an evolutionary point of view. I think that's why I brought in that surgical aspect, that cold calculating. I think from a very young age, we're acclimatized to look up to people. So you look up to your parents. Religion is an unbelievable vector for us to keep looking up and adore things that don't exist or have faith. The animal kingdom has alpha males like the lions. I mean, we were evolutionarily programmed to look up. Like we literally look up to the heavens and look down to hell, if you believe in that. And I think celebrity is the natural evolution of our species, it's like Bollywood. The reason why Bollywood is so huge and much bigger than Hollywood, and when you talk to my Indian friends that they try to give me insight of why their parents who immigrated love Bollywood, it was because it was an escape for them, like a, a break from reality. And I think part of the reason why we instinctively like celebrity and we have ridiculous phrases like, you know, fake it until you make it, is that there's a very real need in us to look at something that's larger than us, that's almost fantastical. Our society keeps propping it up. Now, Colby's a, Colby and Michael are two different examples. They just had obscene talent. So it's easy to prop them up. But our entire society has many examples since the post-internet where there are people that are famous for the sake of being famous. They have no discernible skills. The Kardashians are a good example. Paris Hilton, all these YouTubers that my kids follow. I cannot actually see any talent, <laughs> barely intelligence from these people. <laughs> but there is a need in our society to have false idols. I mean, our entire history and many of our wars are based on, you know, differences of opinions in what we idolize. Wow. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, crazy. Good thoughts. Lester, you had something? Follow up on that. Two points that Steve made to me the night we were talking about this that I think are, are really important and were impactful for me at that moment. The first was regarding hero worship, and, and this is sort of summarizing what he was saying. 
before and, and, and I'll just restate it sort of the way I heard it. Because I was having trouble that day because I was reading so much stuff on the internet and, and somebody who I actually uh, am fairly close to. Uh, that, that was your mistake right there. Well, but that's what you do, right? <laughs> that's what you do when these, when these things happen. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Somebody in my social media network put out a very blistering statement saying, basically saying, quit hero worshiping violent men. And I, I was very taken aback by that because I was like, holy shit, I do not want to hero worship violent men. Do I need to completely reconsider how, I, you know, how I'm feeling right now? And I actually spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I think that, that George using the example of Michael Jackson is a good way to, to kind of soften it and take it off the one specific um, example of, of Kobe. And I think where my mind settles on it is the important thing in that to think about is we shouldn't worship anyone. Like I don't worship Kobe. I didn't, I didn't hero worship Kobe. I admired him for a lot of things. He brought a lot of enjoyment into my life uh, in terms of entertainment, following his career, watching him perform. There are a lot of things about his mental tenacity that I admired. And I think I'm able to separate that from saying I worship him as a person, which I don't think we should do for anybody. But I also don't think that we should be afraid to pick and choose things that we see in other parts of life and other people in life that we admire, that we aspire to be more like without having to say, you know, just because I like Michael Jackson's music, I have to like Michael Jackson, the person, right? I don't, I don't think you have to do that. And I think just because you can admire the Mamba mentality concept around Kobe doesn't mean you have to say, well, and I also believe that, you know, everything he did in his life was perfect. Like that's, that's a false, a falsehood that I think we should, we should all avoid in life. And I, and I think that picking and choosing the positive things in your life that you want to follow and emulate and aspire to be is an important process for us and is one that we should do carefully. But then the other thing that Steve said that I found very interesting that night was, and this was tied to, you know, why would you, why do you feel like this grief or loss when someone you've never met dies, when a celebrity dies? And what Steve pointed out is if, if there's somebody in your life who you admire, you are associating some aspects of your own person with that person and aspiring to be that way. And when that person dies for a brief moment, you feel like that part of you died and you, you feel that loss like, wow, Kobe's gone. You know, the Mamba mentality is gone. I can no longer aspire to be mentally tough like Kobe. Like you have this whole subconscious war that goes on in you where you actually feel that loss. And I found that very interesting. I found that, that quite interesting to think about. I think that, that Steve, that's actually like a, a really quite brilliant point. And I've thought about it a lot since then. And the other thing too, is I think why it becomes such a big deal when a celebrity dies. I was thinking about this afterwards, you know, if somebody in my family dies, distant uncle or something, I have the people in my family who I have that conversation with and I share that loss with, you know, it might be 20 people. And if somebody in my friend group dies, who I have 
more mutual friends with. It's a larger community with which I share that loss. You know, maybe it's a couple hundred people who I reach out to and talk to. When somebody who's a global superstar dies, that you, sh- you are sharing that loss with literally millions and millions of people around the world who are thinking the same thing that you're thinking at the same time. And that's why it becomes such a big, um, sort of just like an enormous conversation that, that, that takes over. Of course, it doesn't mean anything more that Kobe and his daughter died than it does the other seven people that were on that helicopter. Of course it doesn't. But we share that conversation with all of the people who we mutually shared our knowledge of that person with. And I think that's why the conversation grows. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think those things have to compete. You know, you, you don't have to say there's too much attention being paid to this one person and not enough to another person. I think that's just part of the conversation. It's a terrible tragedy. Nine people lost their lives instantly. And it's a terrible tragedy for, for nine families and nine sets of friends, obviously. But I don't think it has to be a competition of who was more or less important of those nine people. It doesn't have to be, but it, but it is. That's the, that's the grotesque part. Well, but it's not. Why is it a competition, George? Well, I disagree because the media clearly has covered one aspect quite a bit more than the other one. That's what is unsettling. For me, and maybe I'll throw in a comment because we were going to briefly talk about, you know, the Royals coming to to Canada and I had a comment about them and maybe it fits in here. I think the reason why celebrities have that effect is because they tend to transcend differences in politics, language or, or regional identities. I am sure in the States there are equal amounts of Republicans and Democrats that view Mamba as an amazing basketball player. So I think that's part of our mystique around celebrity is that there's a shared humanity. Cause that's what you just said. I'm sharing this experience with a whole bunch of people that I've, that I'll never meet, but we have this one thing in common. So I think that's what's often overlooked in celebrity is that this, the shared space that we have. And they absolutely, he absolutely got more coverage than the other seven people. The only reason why the other seven people are brought up because there's somebody somewhere that's twigging in and going, you know what, I don't want to look like a piece of shit and a monster. I better mention these other people because I bet you the media didn't even want to because that's not what sells newspapers or tears or tear jerking. Okay, but George, I think though, like what are you saying is the solution to that situation? The reason the media covered this tragedy is because everybody knows who Kobe Bryant is. If the other people on the helicopter we don't know who they are. The media wouldn't have covered it. You know, they would have covered it locally. But if nobody, you know, globally knew their names and knew who they were, of course, the media is not covering the fact that they died. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that their loss is any less. But the media covers stories that people can relate to. That's that's just the concept of the media. And my, my point is, I, it's not a competition. I don't think you should feel bad because uh, when a celebrity dies, there's media coverage. I don't think you should feel bad for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't feel bad. About I don't. It. I don't think it lessens the. I don't think it lessens the loss of the other people. Yeah. Well, I guess that's where we'll disagree. If an alien came down and had never been on Earth before, and they witnessed that, they would say, "Wow, Kobe must be the." the king of the world because these other seven people are past in mentioning. So 
again, I can reconcile that. I understand why he got more coverage than people that we don't know about. Kobe Bryant had a bigger impact. There's no question about it. Not just with the NBA. He just had a global impact. I get why there's coverage. I just don't like it. That's all. I can reconcile those two things. Okay. Well, that 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 yeah, that that's fine. You can say you don't like yeah, it, but I don't like it. So the house across from 160 Centennial East, where I grew up, uh, burnt down basically the same time that the Kobe thing went down. And girl that I coached in Ringette and that went to school with our kids died in the house fire. Her boyfriend was super badly burnt. It was just it was an absolute horror scene. It was it was terrible. But that got way less coverage, even in Thompson, than the Kobe thing. Those two things don't don't add up and I'm, I'm not saying it's right or wrong but it's it's kind of that was a real interesting kind of juxtaposition for for all the Thompson so I, I agree with you George I think they're two separate things too and I think that's when we come back to the humanity thing it's just like you know when somebody loses somebody and we all have lost somebody we have our experience you know you don't need someone to come in and tell tell you what a shit your brother was or a shit your dad was or a shit your brother-in-law was in the moment that you're grieving so I think you know in these moments you know, it's it's so critical to just try to take the position that, you know, it's now in the it's now in the spotlight, and there are real people grieving real people. Oh, absolutely. And we have to yeah. be careful what we say and just respect respect somebody's grieving. Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's that's definitely true, and I think most responsible people in the media try to do that, and and a lot of them fall all over themselves trying to do it too much. Um, but 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 again, George George, coming back to to what you're saying. Are you suggesting that when a celebrity dies, the media should not cover it? Because that appears to be the only solution that I can think of to what you're saying is a problem. Did we lose George? <laughs> George? I think George just got so angry on this topic that he fucking hung up on me. <laughs> I'm back. I don't know what happened. George, did you hear what, did you hear what my question was? I, I did. I, I, I actually just got cut off of what Steve was saying. I was agreeing with his point that uh, the whole devil advocate, the always the but, uh, you know, the trolls that constantly say, oh, yeah, there's always another side. Well, of course, there's always another side. I think Steve was trying to say in the moment people died. We happen to concentrate on Kobe because of his impact. So why don't you just leave that moment alone? People can mourn Kobe collectively, singularly and not always jump on the, oh, but let's talk about what happened 15 years ago. I agree with Steve. And then I didn't hear your question. My question was, you're saying how you hate the fact that media covers celebrity deaths and treats them as important. And my question was, well, the only solution I can see to that is, are you suggesting that when a celebrity dies, the media should not cover it? No, no, I think they should have. They should have covered it, just not to the degree and magnitude. I just know that's not going to happen. Yeah, They made it a big deal for many reasons, and one of which is indisputable. It sells papers. It sells advertising. He's one of the most recognizable people on the planet. So that's why they covered it, like him or not. When Donald Trump dies, I think all four of us collectively don't like Donald Trump. Right. When he dies, it's going to be a huge global story. I'd like to take it back to this is a sort of a, a lesser point, but part of the, the media thing with Kobe and with a lot of heroes, too, is there is and in terms of selling newspaper and selling media, there is so much good video of Kobe and Michael Jackson, especially sports stars, even political people, that it's easy for the media to do those unbelievable montages. I'm sure the thing at the Raptor game, Lester, was 
unbelievable, right? It was it was HD and somebody put together all of that stuff. And that's kind of an easy sell for for media people as well, because you've got so much material to work with. Like if if I died in a helicopter crash tomorrow, you don't have 600 hours of unbelievable video of me. And so I think that helps to to build that mystique after people are gone. Absolutely. Celebrities today mm -hmm. live yeah. their entire lives yeah. being recorded all the time. So there is there is so much um, contextual data on yeah. them to share and continue the conversation yeah. after yeah. they're gone. I think, Steve, what you just said, though, is actually really important about was be careful not to put your heroes too high up on a pedestal. Yeah. You know, put them too high above you. The important thing is pick and choose what you admire in the people that you look at, whether you're looking up to them or at them. Pick and choose what you admire and then go try to get it. Go emulate it. Go try to do yeah. it. I want to be like Mike. <laughs> hey, Les, let me throw in one more comment because I think you, you hit it on the nail. Hit uh, <laughs> the head. Whatever. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> nail on the head, but go ahead. Hit you on the head. <laughs> Les, you're successful. You're well-rounded. You can look at this. In fact, you've already looked at it and reflected on why I feel the way I felt about Kobe. And you're able to decide that you've enjoyed and admire many of the traits that you aspire to have. So you're okay. My issue is, uh, especially with generations, to continue the theme, you know, pre and post internet, pre and post social media, my concern is you are grounded enough to figure that out. We're moving in a direction where kids coming up don't have the grounding you have and will continue just to keep putting them higher and higher. And that sort of blends a little bit to what Steve said. Less you're going to be okay. You can, you know, you're going to look back on Kobe and, you know, smile. No, oh, yeah, I already do. Yeah. Uh, I think they're going to be, yeah. there's potential for people to, to, to look at our elevated heroes, our elevated celebrities, and won't have that grounding. That's my concern. Yeah. I think that's a good, a really good point, George. The flip side of that is, I think it's important to have heroes. It, it gives us a direction, right? It gives us something to aspire to to something, to see a goal in the distance and say, that's what I want to be like. That's where I want to get to. Okay, how do I get there? And whether that's a business leader, a spiritual leader, an athlete, whatever the goal is that you're trying to achieve in your life, when you can see someone off in the distance that is there already, you can start to visualize it. And you can say, okay, how the fuck do I get there? That's the plan. That's what I want to do with my life. And I think that's important. I really like that, Lester, because I, I was, especially going into this pod, I'm kind of an anti-hero guy. I don't like that feeling of sort of like worshiping somebody, I guess, or when you see people that, that are totally enamored. Uh, but I really like that way of looking at it, that that's an inspiration to you and pushes you in some part of your life. And I think yeah. when you frame it that way, I probably do have some, I don't, I don't like the word heroes probably, but people that I look up to or people that, you know, you want to emulate, but maybe sometimes the word heroes is is too strong or a little little too tricky yeah. or you just have to really think hard about what that means to you. But I like that angle on it big time. I think that's a, a good point, Bruce, to say the word hero is too strong because what I really keyed on when people were saying, talking about hero worship was I found the word worship is way too strong. So it's, it's interesting, right? How you kind of like figure it out yeah. and yeah. like most things in life, everything in moderation, right? Yeah. I have to go guys. I want you to continue though. And Les, I think you're right. And it is the worship thing, not the hero thing. Cause you guys are heroes to me. So it depends on how you use the context. I look up to you guys 
It doesn't matter whether I call you heroes or friends. You guys would take a bullet for me. Is that worshiping? It doesn't really matter what it is. I think it's contextual, yeah. right? And I wanted to end on a, on, a, on a positive note. Steve, I'm going to send you a couple of autographed pictures because I'm your hero. <laughs> <laughs> some with clothes, some without clothes. <laughs> 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 with an invoice, with an invoice. <laughs> Stop calling me. Stop calling me. Talk to my talk to my talk to my fucking assistant. A membership card to my fan club. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll send you a link to my merch site. You're running to catch a plane. Are you flying to Toronto? Come see me. Let's go for lunch. It's family day. Come be my family. <laughs> Come be your family. Before I before I jump off, I think everyone's saying something too. It's it's that gap that exists between us and the hero less. Because if it's unreachable, yeah. it just becomes sheer disappointment. One of the things, and since I'm feeling a little bit uh, you know, sentimental, because I do love you guys, and you guys are like people, like three of the people I admire the most. But one of the things that I'm going to bring up Dave for maybe the first time ever in this podcast is that what he did, a lot of people looked up to him, and he always just beat people by one. He would beat them by a foot in a race. He would hold them down for a second in a wrestle. He would do only one push-up more than they could. And when I asked him why he did that, he said, Steve, you got to give them something to be able to reach for. And that was like one of the most inspiring things I've ever heard anybody say. Right. Just do one more than them and it will be attainable. But see, I think the pedestal we put some people on is more than one more. It's a thousand more. And we look up at it. And like Georgie said, the sky's so fucking high. I may never be able to reach it. But if we make it attainable, it just seems possible. You brought it up, so you got to go first, Les. Okay, if we have to think of who our first childhood heroes were, I have only one in mind, and I love this one because I share it so closely with George, was WWF wrestling. And I think my first childhood hero was Hulk Hogan. Wow. <laughs> and what you gonna do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world run wild on you? Tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. right here in Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens. Don't you dare miss this one. And you talk about, you know, don't put your heroes too high on a pedestal because uh, as an adult, I don't know that there's that much about Hulk Hogan's uh, adult life that I would aspire to uh, replicate. You know, he's had a pretty hilarious adult life. But yeah, though, when we were, you know, 10 years old, I used to trudge through the snow to George's house on Saturday night, sleep over at his house so that we could watch Saturday night main event wrestling because he had cable and I did not, so I couldn't watch it at home. That wonderful world of wrestling, which is built on the whole concept of, you know, good guys and bad guys. You've got the heroes and the heels and, you know, the whole kind of superhero concept that is perfect for 10-year-old boys. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Hulk Hogan, my first childhood hero. He did slam Andre the Giant to the Saturday Night Main Event number 10 or whatever that was. Uh, it was number three, WrestleMania 3. WrestleMania 3. The movie documentary on Andre the Giant, if you haven't watched it, Bruce, I know George has, is one of the best documentaries I've ever watched. Yes. It's really so fucking well done. I don't think I have. Oh, dude, you have to watch it. Even if you're not a huge wrestling fan, it's just so well done. Like the, the, the documentary aspect of it is so good. And it tells the entire history of wrestling, like how it became such a big thing like it talks about local cable 
Vince McMahon using media bought everything up and it tells the story and then goes into also the story of Andre the Giant's life. It's unbelievably interesting. In fact, yesterday I watched a good half hour of it. It's on TV all the time and whenever it's on, I stop and I watch it. Like I've watched parts of it on 20 occasions, I'm sure. Georgie, heroes? I agree with Les. You know, the, the wrestling is a perfect story mythology for young minds. I mean, that's why we were so attracted. God-like creatures, like Hulk Hogan was a gigantic human being, like physically, literally, figuratively, he just transcended the common man. I mean, I think that's why people are attracted, even today, even though when people know WWE is fake, and it's bigger than it ever is before. It's like Bollywood, I think it just, it gives us something to look up to some fantasy. So yeah, I think I would say the thing that closest came to a hero were the the WWF people, the Rowdy Piper and Macho Man Savage, which ended up becoming my favorite wrestler of all time, just because he was (laughs) even bigger than Hulk Hogan in his intensity, like the ultimate warrior. Those two's intensity were just red dialing it constantly. In fact, I often compare Steve in my mind to the ultimate warrior and much man savage <laughs> just because of the intensity that they can maintain for so long. Yeah. So for me, I think it definitely was those wrestlers. The celebrity of wrestling has sort of lost its sheen, not by a large degree, but a little bit. I mean, I think the rock is a good example of how he went from wrestling to becoming the biggest, highest paid actor. It's because he used that over the top persona that just people love basking in his son i mean that's that's Mm -hmm. what he sells yeah that whole hero worship thing is that we like things that almost hurt our eyes we we like that incandescence that personality yeah yep and we like to cheer for good over evil absolutely it's bruce i remember being a kid running around your place playing star wars and listening to you had a and I don't know, would it have been the, the soundtrack to Star Wars or like the theme music or something that we used to play and we used to run around your house? It must have been an album. Do you remember that? Yeah, totally. And I don't know if it was the soundtrack, but it had the theme and we would run around pretending we were like shooting laser guns. And yeah, we were <laughs> flying X-wing fighters. You're cheering for good over evil, right? And you know, like the Hulk Hogan story, stay in school, eat your vitamins. Like you were just cheering for the good guy. Yes, the Rock is now that as well, right? He's like positivity. You're cheering for the good guy over the bad guy, which most of us like to do. Yeah. Here's a little aside, but uh, Chris Jericho, the wrestler, is good yep. friends with Shanks. They they went to school in Winnipeg together. And I remember him coming to our place where we lived in Winnipeg and saying, I'm going to be in the WWE. I'm going to be a professional wrestler. And, and me going like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, who are you? Wow. <laughs> He was a pretty big star too, right? Chris Jericho. Huge. Like he was the champion of the yeah. WWE for a little short while and he's he's kind of bounced in and Jesus. out and Shanks went to his wedding and stuff like they're they're tight there. But yeah, I thought, that was hilarious. one of those ones when it actually happened, I thought, oh my God, I just distinctly remember that day and he, he was already starting to beef up and stuff. So that was, <laughs> was kind of cool. I really, I wasn't quite as into wrestling as you guys were. Um, Murph kind of got into it. So I wouldn't say specifically one of those wrestlers was my hero I, and I don't really feel like I had one growing up probably Wayne Gretzky and I know that like maybe almost yeah. a little bit stereotypical and and in some respects I think that got mm-hmm. pushed onto me I'm not sure if I really sort of hero worshiped Gretzky but he was the best of the time you know I played lots of hockey was decent at it and so uh for sure I would say Gretzky's yep. that guy and I, and I do think it translated a little bit for me in life again he's was such a positive squeaky clean kind of guy and uh super mm-hmm. humble and I think I sort of tried to take that forward in life to sort of act like 
Gretzky did. And I, it's a whole nother pod because we could dip into how that may have hurt hockey overall because the characters mm-hmm. in basketball and the characters in some other sports, I think, have helped them to, you know, to yep. be even more popular in the world. It, That's a pod in itself for sure. I could talk about yeah, that. For I wouldn't hours. mind talking about that too. And I, and in some respects, Gretzky ruined that. But at the same time, he was a great good life role model for a lot of people, I think. Mm-hmm. That probably would be mine, but I've never really been, a, you know, put someone on a pedestal kind of person. I don't have too many of those examples, especially of, of stars. I think in my life, it's more people that are a little bit closer to me that you try to emulate. So anyway, that's my story. Hey, I want to say one last thing because I got to leave. I got to leave. I got to be somewhere at 1130. Uh, just for the plot listeners, it actually makes sense uh, why Wayne Gretzky I don't know if you remember this, Bruce. You were often compared to Wayne Gretzky when you were young. I think people, I certainly haven't forgotten how good you were as a hockey player. And remember, you and Glenn Goodall were being scouted by Seattle, and Glenn Goodall ended up leaving for the WHL at a young age. And I remember you talking to me about how your parents were having a hard time deciding whether they should send you to hockey school or not. I remember this distinctly. And they chose to keep you back. But at least one or two years of your junior hockey career, you either had or were on pace for the same amount of goals of Wayne Gretzky. Have I forgotten? Have I? Is that memory false? That's true. It wasn't junior hockey. It was probably peewee or yeah, uh, peewee. In that peewee year, things kind of went good for me. And yeah, just as a as a coincidence, we were probably scoring about the same amount of goals. Now I was playing in Leaf Rapids, and he was playing in Edmonton in L.A. But yeah, no, for, for sure, there was kind of that was just kind of a cool life overlap thing, right? So it was neat. And I mean, yeah, yeah you're right. we I, could. I was gonna say we could we could have an interesting discussion on the fact that your parents chose not to let you go away to play hockey, and my parents chose to let me go away to dive. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever really thought of it in that capacity before, but it was around the same time. I think you were considering going away for hockey maybe a year before I went away or maybe two years before I went away. But around the same time, our parents were faced with that same very difficult decision and they made opposite choices. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's why you worship false idols less and Bruce is (laughs) well-grounded. (laughs) <laughs> sorry I couldn't, I couldn't help myself okay i really have to go i really could go yeah, all right fuck this you. is go yeah see you later. Fucking asshole. Bye. <laughs> all right later guys love you I gotta okay go. see you later having fun all day pounding around and laughing away just best friends best friends are we that's it that's the end you probably found us already on social media, but if not, at Snow Day Pod, tell your friends. We've also got an email, snowdaypod at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, social media Todd, producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bison. 